0: Hi, I'm Elizabeth Grainer. I'm an assembly candidate for New Jersey's 21st legislative district and a crazy cat lady. And you're listening to The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. (laughs)
1: I'm Wendy Sheridan, and you are listening to The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. Uh, hey, I am Robin Renee. How are you all, and how are you, Wendy? I am good. I'm getting my second vaccine stick on Thursday. I'm very excited. Oh, wow. That's, that's really cool. I have my first coming up. Oh, awesome. It'll be the day before this comes out okay uh, so uh, i don't know i hope i hope uh, it goes well you had you didn't have side effects how, how did you feel I it guess, was no it? worse than a tetanus shot or a okay. flu shot like it my arm was sore for a day or two the second shot i don't know but we have lots and lots of leftovers in the fridge in case neither of us because my husband's getting his the day after mine so if we're both under, like, if we're both feeling like crap on Friday or Saturday, like, we have food that we don't have to cook. So that's important. <laughs> that's very good. Yeah. I think I'll be a little prepared for that as well. Oh, uh, I don't expect cool. anything bad, though. Yeah. No, me either. I'm, I'm actually just, I'm looking forward to just personally, you know, developing a little bit more freedom in my life, but also oh, yeah. for doing my part to help get this thing better, you know? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. So, we've got some news. We've got a hundredth episode coming up very I know. soon, which is shocking and awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so our hundredth episode's coming up in two weeks. We are well. You'll he- the have show to hear the Yeah, you'll just have to hear the show. Yeah, to come <laughs> It'll show be up a good for the show. show. And we're gonna have a little event afterwards. So the show comes out on Wednesday, the 21st and the 23rd. We're going to have an evening thing, like a Facebook live. You'll get to hear some conversation and we're going to do an ask us anything. So oh, yeah. if you've got questions, uh, let us know. That would be cool <laughs> to uh, to see what we uh, are willing to answer. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, You can ask us anything, but we may not answer everything. That, that's the caveat. <laughs> Uh, and our patrons, your you're a patron, you're invited to be on the Zoom call that will go to Facebook Live and YouTube eventually and just, you know, be part of the conversation with us. But everyone can certainly contribute, like send your questions to Facebook or Twitter or however you want to reach us ahead of time. And then probably Facebook Live on the night of. so,
0: yeah, so we'll
1: be seeing more info about this. Our, our 100th episode celebration event. Yes, that's what we call it. I hope maybe we'll have a better name for <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, I have a rewind because last week, I know it seems as if the pandemic slowed down mass shootings, but it it really didn't. And it didn't make the national news as frequently since there was a much bigger body count with the coronavirus. So, as you know or you may not know, we record our shows on Monday and they go live on Wednesday, and last week there was another shooting after we recorded the last show when we talked about the murdering of the spa employees where most of the victims were of Asian descent. This last shooting was in a grocery store in Colorado. 40 people were killed um, in mass shootings since March of 2020. In 2020, there was one shooting every 73 days on average compared with one every 36 days in 2019 and one every 45 days in 2017 and 2018. This is like kind of insane. However, overall, gun violence did tick up last year. According to the Gun Violence Archive, more than 19,000 people were killed by guns in 2020, excluding gun-related suicides. So that's even more people. The tally is higher than in any previous year since 2014. And I got this information from a Washington Post article about mass shooting statistics, and we'll post the link in our show notes. Yeah, that was really... uh demoralizing, I would say, oh, to yeah. like have to talk about that one incident, which was terrible, and then go like, oh, and it's old news because this- There was another incident. another thing. And, and it's, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I, I, I was thinking this morning, it would be great to have some culture shift that takes that that gun energy and just fulfills that, whatever that need is. Like fulfill it with something else, because there are whole societies that just don't do this. Most societies yeah. don't do this, you know, yeah, I, and well, people can feel manly and rugged and happy or whatever. I don't know what people need to feel to not do this. And it is maybe not all about masculinity, but it seems like it's definitely that is part of it. I mean, there weren't like these big news mass shootings last year. And I and I honestly think a lot of the non-reporting of all of the nineteen thousand people who were killed in guns by guns in twenty twenty were were overshadowed by the daily death toll from the coronavirus. Yeah, I, I really think that's the yeah, media so was it's concentrating not, yeah, on that. You really take a reprieve. Yeah, I mean we have to. It's the NRA, I think, is responsible for a good deal of this. Mm. You know. One of uh, Heather Cox Richardson's essays in the last week or two was talking about the history of the NRA and how when it first started, it was like a rifleman or a, a gun safety organization to teach people how to handle firearms safely for hunting and sports shooting. Right, like a then responsible it outdoors. And turned into yeah. this money-grab gun porn thing over the years. Yeah, you know, they saw they saw a way to make money and and here we are today. Hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of political backdrop to that too. It, I don't want to speak to it right now cuz I can't think of the documentary I saw about it, but it would be something to check out yeah. sometime. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, that's anyway. Uh, <laughs> that's our update about people getting killed by guns from our last show and and now we're going to and now we're going to try to change the mood with our three random facts. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh boy. So, yes, fact number 1. <laughs> Former Major League Baseball relief pitcher Tom Masney is the only Indonesian-born Major League Baseball player thus far. Hmm. He was raised in Zionsville, Indiana, and debuted in the American League in 2006. His name his nickname was Mr. Nasty. <laughs> That's why you picked that, right? Because of the nickname. Uh, well, I I picked it. No, the the okay. nickname was a the nickname was a bonus. I picked it because my uh my my friend of mine who recently passed was interested in having a creating a baseball team in Indonesia, and it was he was a fountain of random facts and ideas, <laughs> and and this one I just I just thought it would be funny.
2: <laughs> to, uh, well, it is. That's a way. <laughs>
1: Well, my random fact is also a news item, (laughs) but the Egyptian government recently moved the mummified remains of 22 pharaohs to a new museum in a lavish parade that took two years to organize. Each mummy traveled in its own vehicle with special shock absorbers and roads that were newly paved for the parade, and they were sent on their way in chronological order of their reigns, the oldest being oh, let's see if I can say this. Secondary Ta too, who ruled in the 16th century BCE, which is a very long time ago, 18 kings and four queens are now being housed in the new National Museum of Egyptian Civilization. And a link to the video is in our show notes. And I recommend watching it because it's it's a short video, but it's really, they really made Quite the spectacle out of moving these guys, and probably because they had to design these these special vehicles to transport them, so they wouldn't be disturbed by you know jostling. And, and they're in they were in uh, nitrogen filled compartments inside of the trucks, and the trucks looked very Egyptian, you know, ancient Egyptian, like with the like ISIS wings and stuff. And the names of who was in the truck was like. Just embossed on the side of the truck, and there's women walking, holding things, and dressed in in ancient Egyptian. It was really gorgeous looking, and there was like an orchestra playing. <laughs>
2: it wow! Was and did,
1: they, did they have to do some special spells to like break the curse that would whoever disturbed the grave of the pharaoh? <laughs> I don't know. Those it just, just sounds... sounds like the start of a movie of some
2: type that would, <laughs> would go well. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but it seems maybe. like they did. The, they honored them. Uh, oh, they definitely treated everybody with the utmost respect. It was very, it was very nice to watch. So that nice. that happened. So. Very cool. Very cool. Well, here's another random fact that is uh, not so cool, actually, and kind of oh. weird, and kind of goes back to the uh, violence
2: factor. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sorry. we live in
1: America. We can't get away from it, right? So. Most people, you got to know Peanut Butter Jelly Time, I would think, (laughs) if you've been on the internet at all, you know, back in the day. Anyway, uh, on August 13th of 2002, the singer of Peanut Butter Jelly Time, Jermaine Filler of Buckwheat Boys, died by apparent suicide at an 11-hour police standoff, during which time his brother-in-law, Snoop Dogg, attempted to calm him down and get him to surrender. And I had no idea, like, I just thought it was a goofy, wacky song, internet thing that this had happened actually before, I guess, it was famous. And anyway, he had shot, he'd shot a police officer non-fatally in the head and chest, but then he found an apartment and barricaded himself in this Las Vegas apartment, and he took two men hostage. Wow. Um, had this standoff, and the the two hostages were able to escape, but he, uh, I guess he didn't think there was another way out or something. And I was like, that is a very disturbing story behind peanut butter jelly time. I just was. (laughs) Yeah. It was definitely weird. Yeah. Weird and sad. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Enough (laughs) of that. (laughs) Later in the show. I interview Elizabeth Grainer, former neighbor and current candidate for the New Jersey State Legislature for District 21. And we have our very first Artscape segment where we talk with one another about our work and the creative process. So today I'm interviewing Robin about her current project. Yay, I'm excited. (laughs) So uh, before we move on to the news, I just want to give a shout out to our Leftscape listeners. We have been... uh, getting some really cool messages and news items that people are interested in and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's, um, it's really uh, a good thing to be connecting with you all. But, you know, thanks for checking out the show. And if you're new to the show, hello and welcome. Yay. Hey, you can catch new episodes of the Leftscape every other Wednesday and subscribe on our website, leftscape.com. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts, including Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And while you're on our website, sign up for our monthly newsletter, The Leftscape Lookout. Yes, and you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash leftscape. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at leftscape as well. And now here's all the news we can handle. So in the news. Well, what I wrote here in my news notes is Biden's reefer madness era thinking about cannabis is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Which isn't really news exactly. I, I think what I was thinking of is that I was listening to, I guess I don't I don't can't remember where I heard it first, but some of his staffers had divulged that they had used marijuana or used cannabis uh in the past and Originally, we're told that, you know, you can still get clearance and and it's not going to be a problem. You just need, you know, as long as you're honest about everything that you've done and when they do their clearance stuff. And apparently that got reversed somehow. So people started getting fired or put on leave or something like that. And I find that just frustrating. I (laughs) find it sad, especially since weed is legal in the District of Columbia. So, right. You know it's it's sad, <laughs> yeah, and we're moving, I think you know, generally in the right direction with all this stuff, and there's gonna be weird blips on the yeah. way and the, and it's just a bummer that he doesn't quite he doesn't quite get it, I guess <laughs> and New York, I think, also legalized weed recently, yes, they did yeah. I, I kind of figured they were going to after New Jersey voted to do it because otherwise you know, they're going to lose out on all the revenue because all the New Yorkers will just come here right. to buy weed once they get their shit together and start selling. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, uh, anyway, um, there is a new media bias chart and this one is interactive and I'm glad it's interactive. Cause when I looked at it, there's like no way for you to see all, all of the logos are kind of like superimposed on top of each other. And there's a big, field of dots underneath. and as you mouse over them, you get a little pop-up with the name of the organization and their link and their're what their reliability score is and stuff like that. so it's a it's a very useful piece of information for you when you're when you're trying to evaluate what your news source is telling you, I now have a new goal of trying to get us the landscape podcast as a dot on this chart, but you know, as I mentioned that to Robin before, she said, <laughs> "What did you say?" You said, "Sorry, our news." I it said, mid- "It'll will our dot will represent low news value and far left opinions or something <laughs> like that." Well, no, honestly, no, I don't think I'm super far left, but I think we're we're clearly left. Obviously, oh, yeah. it's in our name. Our name is our address, <laughs> and, um, but you know, I was just thinking about. The differences between news outlets and podcasts, you know, and and I think that the goal is, uh, well, because some of the podcasts I listened to were not very high in terms of news content. You know, it was a mm-hmm. it's a lot of opinion and analysis yeah. and things like that. You know, but I think that the idea is to know what you're listening for. You know, okay. if I'm listening to the BBC. Or, you know, another sort of very neutral news outlet. I think that's important, you know, to listen to that. And I also really like hearing people's conversations and their everyday kind of reactions to things. and And that's really what I think a lot of podcasts do, you know so that's my that's my goal <laughs> is to look at that chart and go, you know, understand what I'm hearing when I'm listening to something or watching something. and uh, it's it's been really helpful to me, actually. And so it's nice to see this update. Okay, and another news item is there was a kind of a, not a coup, but there was some some rumblings, I guess, in Jordan, in the Middle East, because Prince Hamza was stirring up some stuff recently, like over the weekend or last week, and he's been placed in house arrest, and he has, I think, yesterday... Or today, even, he has uh, vowed to defy his house arrest orders. So that situation is not resolved. Although King Abdullah, who I guess is his cousin, I kind of think. No, half-brother, sorry. So King Abdullah is the half-brother of this prince. And he's been the head of Jordan uh, since 2004, And then he was going to be, oh, I see what's going on here. He was supposed to be the the first person in line of succession after King Abdullah. And King Abdullah removed him from being the crown prince and designated his son as heir instead of this guy. So I guess he's pissed off about that and is trying to destabilize the government. So that's what's happening in Jordan at the moment.
2: Hmm.
1: Yes, we'll uh, stay aware of that it's uh <laughs> I guess we'll see what happens it's it's a uh, it's a weird thing I saw that as a subtweet before I read the news item about it and I was like wait what's happening <laughs> so it was odd. yeah it's not odd. something that's really high on on my radar either so well I mean I liked well I've been I've been c- keeping out of the news a bit so I'm a little bit behind the things but it's uh anyway yeah, as so. I say it, it's good to See a, see if you see something on Twitter before you believe everything about it, what that person says, <laughs> read a news article <laughs> going yes. back to her. Yes. Um, and it sounds like royal families everywhere are, are having issues. So yeah. Maybe it's time to not have those. Maybe it's time for monarchies to not exist anymore. I don't know. That's just a thought. <laughs> That's a thought. <laughs> Uh, in other news, Georgia voting law is, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I guess last Thursday, the Georgia Republicans passed a sweeping law to restrict voting access, really. And did Kemp sign it into law? And that's why we're all very angry? Did that, because he, he didn't veto it, right?
0: No, or I are, don't think
1: he vetoed it. Are we. Trying to put pressure on him to veto it before he signs it into law. That is a good question. I don't know the answer to. So yeah, I don't either. Otherwise, the (laughs) the the, okay. Well, the information that I was getting from like what to do is really to yes, put pressure on all all of our legislators really to make sure that people you know who are on the side of you know people voting and the and people who were thinking about restricting it to let them know how important it is to all of us um regardless of your state or whatever you know yeah was it um, 30 33 states have like six or like 600 different laws now going through their legislatures to restrict voting right right exactly and the one in georgia like just as a few examples it's like it it has strict identification requirements for absentee balloting, limiting drop boxes and expanding the legislature's power over elections overall. And I think the most infuriating thing that people were talking about is making it illegal to give food or water to people waiting in lines to yeah, that's the yeah, that was ridiculous Now, I heard that one of those it might be rescinded, so like water is okay now or something. I, I really think the whole that, thing needs to not happen, of I, course, you know, of course and and i do you know you you made a good point wendy that i'm not sure if it's been signed yet or not so um that's something that i want to follow up on and yeah. see what's happening with that but it's it's a frightening prospect that if if there if this is allowed to stand i think our democracy is yeah you know, i mean we've got I trouble it, well, think, we already have trouble but i is, think the supreme court might be able to step in but you never know but i also want to point out that i saw it wasn't a tweet. It was a post on Facebook because I'm really, I'm really, I still haven't wrapped my brain around Twitter. I, I I get on there every once in a while and I get very frustrated within five minutes. So I don't really spend I, I a lot of time Twitter on Twitter. Lessons. We need Twitter lessons. <laughs> I know. I, I, it may not help. It's just that whole format just annoys me. I don't know. But our governor, I mean, because some Republicans in our state legislature have introduced some bills to restrict voting. And Murphy said, you know, Don't even, don't even bother because it's going to go right. If it reaches my office, it's going right into the garbage. So he's already said he's vetoing anything, anything remotely voter suppression like that comes across his desk. So that is good to know. I didn't even hear of the attempt yet in New Jersey, but I'm glad to hear that our governor is not down with that. (laughs) So, yeah, if, and, and I think, what was it our our the the previous president number 45 sent out some email cuz i guess that's his only his <laughs> only vehicle to talk to people now that's funny cuz i don't think he even used email i think someone has to do that well, for him <laughs> i don't even know i don't even know but there was there was this thing going around social media from him saying, calling on all of his minions and supporters to boycott. Let's see, what was the list? It was a very long list. It was boycotting the airline that's in Georgia, Coca-Cola, Major League Baseball, Cisco systems. And I just want to point out that the entire internet backbone in the United States is running on Cisco boxes. So if you're going to boycott Cisco, get off the fucking internet. So how is that? And and uh, um. So is this uh, his boycott against companies that yes, are that standing are, up against the Georgia laws? Exactly. Or? Okay. You listed all the yes, yes, <laughs> and Texas. I think some of these companies are are objecting to the Texas voter restriction laws, which have not passed through their legislature yet, but okay. they've they're they're in the process, and the Texas businesses are are not happy about this either. Oh, and Merck. So. Oh great! Merck protested about it too. I don't even know if they're in Georgia. They may be. I know they're local to us, right? And and they are one of the few companies with a, a African American CEO. I am glad that Trump's voice has been duly diminished. And, not enough. Uh, not, not enough. Diminished enough. Yeah. Well. <laughs> anyway, on some happy local news. Yes. So. There is a park that I went to since I was a little kid called Clementon Park, and it's a little, it used to be much smaller, just a really tiny amusement park, and then over the years they added a water park and all this other stuff, and it was like where I had birthday parties as a kid and that sort of thing, and I had a much older birthday party (laughs) (laughs) about 10 or so years ago there, which was really fun to uh, gather up some friends and go there. Anyway, it, it's just kind of a staple of life in South Jersey. But in general, it's a 114-year-old amusement park. Just has a lot of history, you know. And anyway, it cl- suddenly closed at the end of 2019. It was like they had sold tickets for their, I guess, uh, whatever they do in around Halloween. There's like, you know, the regular season and they have like the Halloween season. And they had sold tickets, but it was just suddenly closed. No explanation, no nothing. You know, it just looked like it was done. And apparently they did an auction for it a, couple, a week and a half ago or so. Hmm. And someone bought it and intends to reopen. Oh, cool. Which is very cool. I just, I didn't expect that. I thought it would just be condos or some dump store or something. And um, yeah, they That's what happened at Bowcraft, which is the little place up near us. It never had a water park, but it had, you know... The, it had a lot of the little kid rides that that I remember as a kid, and, and I used to take my daughter there when she was little. And that got sold for parts, and oh. I think it's probably you know either an in, 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 uh, office park or residences. I don't know what's up there now, but I'm glad your amusement okay. park is getting I- saved. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it makes me happy to think about like it opened in 1907, I believe. And oh, wow. I remember like growing up and thinking like, wow, that park is old it's been there like since I was a little kid and then to talk to my grandmother and to find out that she went there when she was a little <laughs> kid. I was like, wow, you know so so yeah that's 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 a that's a good bit of news and I'm holding my breath to make sure all goes well and I'm looking forward to going there with my cousins in the summer. Oh, so wow. we can all right. yeah so that that's uh all the news we're handling today. <laughs> that's it. This podcast is sponsored by Teaching Your Relatives How to Find the Gallery View button. It's in the top right corner. Where See where it says gallery view? Well, what do you see? That's the left corner. Yes, yes, see, yes, where it says gallery view. Click it. Yes, 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 that is better. Yes, that's, that's why I wanted to show. On sale now, wherever relatives gather on Zoom. And now... Back to our podcast. I'm here today with Elizabeth Grainer. She is an educator, a mom, and a Democratic candidate for New Jersey's 21st legislative district. She wants to advocate for her students and their families in state government. Welcome, Elizabeth. Uh, Thank thanks. you. It's so nice to be here. Uh, glad you're... I, I have to give, a, uh, I guess, a disclaimer. Uh, Elizabeth used to live across the street from me for like eight or nine years before she moved out of town. <laughs> and and when I discovered she was running for office, I said, oh, gosh, you have to come on the show. So here
0: she is. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. I, I have to say that um, we have some commonalities. I was listening to your episodes and oh. Groot has a penchant for the elastic bands on the masks. (laughs) So my, my Snoopy who is the elder States cat in this house, he likes to find what in New Jersey they call hair ties, but what I grew up calling ponytail holders. And um, he, but he has at least has the decency to barf them up. So, Oh God, if that's a good way to start.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. My first question for you is, what made you decide to get into politics?
0: well, you know, my first job ever was a summer job when I was 16 and it was Democratic uh, committee person from Allegheny County, which is the county where Pittsburgh is. And um they he went to my dad and he's just kind of like, "You, you've got that daughter." Um, so I worked <laughs> that daughter. <laughs> that, well, that one of several daughters. And I um I worked for the county treasurer. And it was fun because I got to take, like, the tea or the bus downtown. And, you know, so I was around county government. And I remember being kind of awed because I was working in, like, the historic county courthouse. And it was a fantastic place. And you saw, like, the council chambers and the mayor would walk by. And, you know, it was pretty, It was just pretty cool. But then, you know, in college, I was involved with, you know, the Romero Center, which is, like, a social action arm of at, – it's at Notre Dame. and okay. That's where I met uh, my son's father. He went to Notre Dame. I went to St. Mary's and I moved out here and got involved alongside him when he, we were, he was Senator Ray Lesniak's legislative aide. Really? Yeah, I did not was. know that. Yeah. Okay. He, I was
1: supporting he, him for his bid for governor that wasn't, uh, that was oh, unsuccessful, yeah. but
0: yeah, he was all right. <laughs> yeah. So we worked in like a few campaigns. And I moved out here, got involved with the Democratic Committee here in Bernards Township, and now I'm now the chair. And you know, the pandemic and the events of last summer really had me, you know, questioning why do these inequities exist even in New Jersey when, you know, we're we're one of, you know, we're a blue state. So yeah. I, you know, I I see two New Jerseys. I see the New Jersey where I live, and I see the New Jersey of my students. And I miss Rahway terribly. And one of the (laughs) things I miss about living in a town like that is the diversity. But there's also, you know, economic need. And, you know, just where I work, you know, we don't have the same opportunities for our kids just in terms of being able to open safely that they have. And, you know, it's because it costs a lot of money. And where I work, the plate is pretty full already because of other you know the, the the stresses of being in a community like you know where i work so whereas out here they opened for hybrid in september you know and and you know the kids who just have better inter- home internet access better hardware so this um, is really the
1: fact that you moved to a more affluent if i can use the word town than yeah. where we where i live and where you used to live it's and and now that you're still teaching in the town where i live that you're really seeing firsthand the inequities between the absolutely. the affluence and the lack thereof.
0: Absolutely, so, absolutely, okay. and I'm going to fight to level the playing field. Awesome, awesome. I. I wish that I was in the district to vote for you. Thank
1: you. (laughs) And I also, because I had to go look all this stuff up on Wikipedia this morning, you know, because I, you know, when I keep thinking of local government, I keep thinking of like city council and the mayor and all of that. And I completely forget that we have a state legislature that kind of mirrors the federal government so why don't you give me give us give us the cliff notes description of how our state government
0: <laughs> runs please well we have we have the governor and he's got you know as we know that's kind of like our state's president and we have the state senate and the state legislature much like the federal level and new jersey is divided into 40 legislative districts and each district has a senate a senator and um two assembly people Okay, and I am in the twenty-first legislative district, which has been shamelessly gerrymandered, of course, uh, to include towns that tend to vote Republican. Oh, okay. So you're,
1: and and is the current holder of the legislative seats? Are they Republicans right now? They are. Um, Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we have we're we're flipping your district is what is what we're trying to do here. I sure hope. Okay. Well, now I have now I have reason to help support your campaign. <laughs> Cause Thank I think, you. I think our district is probably solidly blue. I just have that feeling.
0: It uh,
1: is. <laughs> I, <okay. laughs> I just I had to guess. And and so you guys are basically voting on on our on whatever laws need to get through.
0: Definitely. So currently, there's something that's in the works for that has to do with, sc- you know, one of the things I want to look at is school funding, right? So yeah. they're they're talking about stuff with school funding. What else is in the legislature right now? I can't think of it. My mind is going completely blank. But, um, <laughs> you know, just, just uh, I wish I had done my homework. I would be a little better prepared <laughs> to <help. laughs> Think of this. Think of this as your test
1: run for for when you're out and out canvassing and and campaigning.
0: So, exactly. <laughs> um, so no, just just various laws and stuff. Like for instance, like the rollout of the legalization of marijuana in our state has been troubled because there's definitely a certain you know they actually just they're they're voting on it to include the, um, the you know the state senate state senator vinco gopal who's down down a little like middlesex county he uh, he introduced a uh, move a motion to change the you know the current incarnation of this new law to include notification of parents at second offenses so wow. as it was written <laughs> um they said that you were only note parents were only notified after the second offense and there is no system to keep track of that and as you might imagine, you know, there were a lot of parents who were particularly displeased with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: my goodness.
0: I know. It's it's. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> I know. So
1: you are running on a ticket with a couple of other people. And yeah, tell me about that for a second.
0: Sure. Our state Senate candidate is a young man by the name of Joe Signorello, and he is currently the mayor of Roselle Park. And my assembly peer uh, candidate is a woman by the name of Anjali Marotra, who is the head of the New Jersey chapter of the National Organization of Women, and she is the chair of the Mountainside Democratic Committee. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm um, in good company. Yeah,
1: and I'm sad that it's such a that you're gerrymandered red. Um, do we have an opportunity to redraw the lines?
0: yet? Or has that already been done? Well, something actually is in the works to further gerrymander it because our congressman uh-huh. is Congressman Tom Malinowski. Uh-huh. And his his district includes parts of Union, a couple towns in Morris, Somerset, and some Hunterdon County. So, and Hunterdon County is pretty red. So, yeah. but he, um, you know, he's, he's a very popular vote getter here in Somerset, definitely in Union County. So they're trying to further gerrymander it to make it dif- more difficult for him to seek re-election next year. So it's going to be, you know, it's, it's, if, if anything, there's stuff in the works to make it more, because I, I really think that you're going to begin to see more progressive values out in the burbs, if you will. I hope so. <laughs> Well, as you know, the many sociologists that I pretend to be, I coined a term called the Montclair effect, where (laughs) you have people moving from different areas that are more progressive into areas. So for instance, like Westfield, they flipped their city council. Um, Borough is completely democratic on their city council. No way. They are. Oh, gosh. (laughs) <laughs> you know, we got a Democrat on our city, on our township committee a couple of years ago. And uh, you're beginning to see, you know, definitely towns moving more in a Democratic direction, which is that's empowering. Yeah. So it's yeah. nice to see. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. So in 2018 is when I was feeling the need to get out there. And I had attended a seminar that i think was run by the union county women's democratic something or other and it was it was uh it was really eye opening they spent it was like a um they had four or five speakers a couple of them were staff members of menendez and like their their community outreach person and and some other people and they were talking about Fundraising and and the the things you need to do on on election day and stuff like that and and that's when I realized you know because it it involved making phone calls to people to ask for money and it was like uh, it was so far out of my comfort zone that I said okay I'm glad I know this I am not doing this it's like are you are you experiencing some of these
0: feelings <laughs> that I had. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> it, it, you know, when you find out now this this is going to be an expensive race. So when you find out exactly how much goes into it especially if you have to hire campaign staff, it can be particularly daunting because my you know, my my experience with fundraising is is limited to, you know, doing stuff at the high school level. Like I, you know, when I was in Hoboken at a Catholic school, we raised $700 from a dance. And I was like, "Holy holy god." Like I can't believe this and we raised a couple thousand dollars for haitian her- haitian uh, earthquake relief back in 2010 and you know it's it's they it's like the organization emily's list early money is like yeast so the earlier you actually begin to start fundraising that kind of balloons into something because then people can start believing in your message and buying into it so you know, I, do, I, I have finally set up my contributions page, but that's not, I mean, obviously that's not, you don't get into it because you're like, I'm going to be a great fundraiser. You get into it because you're like, I want to affect true positive change. So, and I, I do think like one of the troubling parts of our politics is that it does take money Yeah. to do it. So, yeah, I know. And
1: it's, that's, well, that and, and other personal things like, you know, I'm, I, I, <laughs> I'm Wiccan and, you know, and I've been married three times. I figured I figured that some of these things about me would sort of make it even harder to to get people to take me seriously. But anyway, I am I'm taking you seriously. And uh, what is your your
0: platform? I guess. Is okay. The... <laughs> That's the stuff I know. Um, okay. <laughs> so it's like, obviously it's like inequity, right? So I want to fight for income, educational and economic. Uh, well, income and economic are the same thing. Equality, access to healthcare. I want to work to um, improve our commitment to our environment because under the Christie administration, Republican leadership allowed, uh, you know, what was happening in the state to um, devalue the emphasis on public health, and we have these great, vast, you know, wonderful trails and open space areas that they need a, you know, a good source of funding without raising taxpayer, you know, without raising taxes. And also, um, our infrastructure is crumbling. So that's another thing. Like someone has to hold the new president and his administration feet to the fire in making sure that the Gateway Project, which includes the tunnels to you know fixing the Raritan Valley Line, um, and the you know six million year old tunnels into Manhattan to get fixed. Yeah. So that's that's a big thing too.
1: I thought a lot of the interaction between the state and the federal level happens at the governor's office. Is that? not how that works? Or does the legislature
0: actually interact with the federal government on some level? Is that... It's a combination of factors. So, you know, so Murphy has done, I mean, Governor Murphy has done stuff (laughs) to kind of dig us out of, you know, what Chris Christie, he really created a mess with our infrastructure, with our funding for our environmental areas. You know, as a teacher, I'm a little familiar with what he did to, what he attempted to do to our pensions and certainly what he did to our healthcare. So it's um you know he had a lot of digging out to do, so we want to make sure that the digging out continues. Okay. Uh, new Jersey New Jersey Transit is a disaster right now. Yes. So and they need <laughs> we need to make sure that that's definitely something that is a priority with the new legislative sessions. So
1: let's talk about the election cycle for a second. There's a primary and and that's in June July. When is
0: when is that? The primary is June eighth. Okay, and I I'm on the uh they call it the line. <laughs> so, okay, so I where our ticket is underneath. Uh, we're you know we're underneath the governor and the county uh, commissioners that are up for re-election in Union County, and in my county it's the governor and it's our wonderful fantastic commissioners out here who are up for re-election. Then it's the state senate candidate, and then it's Anjali and me. And then underneath us, it will be the any candidates at the local level who are you know on the Democratic line.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah. The governor. The governor is not. He's up for re-election this year. He is. Yes. Wow, I did not know that. This is oh shit. <laughs>
0: oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's going to be a okay. test because his uh, here the front runner for the Republican nomination has already been out there saying, oh, you know, we're not supporting, you know, businesses. And that has to be, <sighs> that has to be the rhetoric that we fight to say, listen, you know, he is advocating for forgiveness businesses. He just, he needed to make sure we all didn't die.
1: Yeah. So, I, Well, now know. I, this, un- I understand now when I saw some information going through on Facebook the other day, like yesterday about the, a lot of things reopening. And now I know why. And that and that's interesting to me that, that our elections are the local elections are an odd number of years, which I read on
0: Wikipedia this morning. <laughs>
1: and I, you know, I mean I go vote every year, but I didn't it didn't like stick in my head that okay, the even years are federal level and the odd years are, are state level. And and these elections are at least, if not more important than the federal elections, because these affect our personal lives. And I I'm not speaking to you now; I'm speaking to our listeners because you guys have to go vote this year too. <laughs> you know, yes, like please. what we did last year, we have to do it again, and every year, honestly. What is it that you teach at the at the high school? <laughs> let's just, let's just get off of politics for two
0: seconds. <laughs> I I am. I am the luckiest person in the world because I work with the best kids in the world. Um, you know, my my son excluded from that particular equation. He's fantastic in every way, too. but um I, I am a senior English teacher. okay. and I like I love it. Like we're doing a unit on media literacy right now. So they oh, were awesome. doing uh, they were doing like a conspiracy theory scavenger hunt. <gasps>
1: Oh, I love and and are they are they are you t- teaching your kids how to deprogram them their parents from Q? <laughs> so, <laughs>
0: well, I don't know how many, but I don't know how many QAnon followers we necessarily have. <laughs> and, I mean, I'm, again, uh, who knows? But yeah, well, it's it's about like we do a survey, like where do you get your media? And the majority of my kids get their media from social media. I mean, they get their news from social media. Yeah, and social media is deeply flawed because that's how yeah. QAnon spread. Yeah, I know. I know, and I'm. I'm.
1: That's awesome that you guys are are doing that in the school. I I know when I was in high school, we were encouraged to help to work on campaigns, and and I worked for a local. This is in Northern Virginia, so like we are, you know, we were the Beltway. <laughs> we yeah. were the just outside the Beltway, so politics was always very much in our minds. But I remember working slightly a little bit for Shirley Chisholm's presidential campaign. <gasps> I'm so excited about that. I, that's how old I am. And, oh, that That's fantastic. <laughs> and I helped so somebody in our temple who was running for Congress. And I think I did a lot of envelope stuffing for him. He didn't win, though. And needed to Shirley, so it's, so maybe
0: you don't want me helping you. <laughs> no, I'll it. take any help I can get, any <laughs> insight, any guidance. It's, it takes a village, yo. So yeah. it's you know it's it's that's fantastic. What you, you know that that uh, Shirley Chisholm, <sighs> and then
1: and then and then when when Ariel, my daughter, was in high school and she wasn't going to Raleigh High, she went to the Union County Magnet uh, Theater thing, but their social studies and this was 2008 and she was a freshman and this was when obama was running and they didn't talk about the current politics at all and i was i was convinced it was because half the kids are from these rich counties that are red and then there's us from the blue counties and they didn't want they didn't want to bring that in that energy into the classroom i was like very disappointed with, with
0: them. Yeah. I remember I I went to high school in the eighties and I remember, um, definitely my, my AP history teacher was a flaming liberal and I, (laughs) and and he was, and people just liked him. They just like, you know, and, and I, I really think he, you know, he might be one of the voices that had me going in this particular direction, but I mean, it was home too, but it's, I remember people could talk more openly about politics back then because I guess we weren't as polarized. Maybe. I don't yeah. know. I well, mean, it we're, was early. We're it discouraged. was discouraged. Reagan hadn't really
1: fucked everything up yet. Uh, so
0: <laughs> Listen, I'm from Pittsburgh. My 8th grade <laughs> class, half of them had to move cuz their dads had to relocate cuz mm. all of the the businesses that supported the steel mills, like you know, accountants and stuff like yeah. that, they all lost their jobs too. Wow. So, it was um it was crazy and, you know, Pittsburgh was not destroyed because it's, it's a fantastic city that had you know a third Renaissance, but it's, you know, I, you know, I, I suffered the effects of trickle down economics. My father lost his business. Mm, mm, so it's uh, ugh, Reagan.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> I, we got to kind of wrap this up. So any
0: parting advice or words that you would like to provide? Well, before we go, I have to tell you, yes. Wendy, that this has been fantastic. It's nice to reconnect <laughs> with you. Yes, I hope this leads to more of us talking. Out, you know, obviously outside the podcast. But Definitely. what I, what you know, just anybody can do it. You know, believe in yourself and just take it. The, the only way, the only way to go forward is to take that step. So awesome, ah. awesome. Well, good <laughs> luck,
1: and Thank you. and I hope that you make it into Trenton. In next year.
0: <laughs> so. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to work hard to try to get there.
1: Join me, Robin Renee, and artist Jen Campbell for A Loving Day Exploration, Saturday, June 12th from 5 to 7 p.m. Loving Day is an annual celebration held on the anniversary of the 1967 Supreme Court decision, Loving v. Virginia, which struck down all remaining anti-interracial marriage laws in the U.S. Do you have a story, song, poem, or work of art to share at our online event about interracial relationships, family, or your multicultural experience? Send your submission or proposal by May 1st to info at So save the date, Saturday, June 12th, for a Loving Day exploration, and stay tuned to The Leftscape. For updates. So welcome to the Artscape, which is our brand new segment where we are going to talk about our stuff, our current projects and just the stuff that we do creatively and things so you guys can get to know a little more about us and you can hear about what we're doing. So today's Artscape is all about Robin. And so, hi, Robin. Welcome to the show. (laughs) I thank you. I got my interview hat on now. Um, So what are you working on right now, creatively? That is, it's kind of a big, well, it's a simple question and a big answer. I have talked about it a little bit on here, I think, as well, on the show, that I've been feeling very creatively blocked and not producing what feels important to me and having like things that are just songs that are living inside of me and not emerging, you know? And one of the things that I really had to come to terms with it was that I think I'm dealing with a lot of grief that has been inside me that I just haven't wanted to encounter or let out enough to get through so that I'm actually creating you know it's sort Mm -hmm. of an avoidance thing or something so I decided that that was going to be my project for now is is writing through this shit that's some of these years old and and just making myself find that creative source you know so that was my declaration and what I was intending to start working on when uh, a really dear friend of mine passed away last week so suddenly, grief is uh, incredibly pertinent. You know, it's just right there. So, mm. I started. Uh, so, my friend Kevin Coyle, who I've you know I've known and loved since the '90s, and we've had a, you know long, interesting history. I guess you could say. Yeah. So I wrote a poem that came from that uh, experience of his loss. So that wound up being sort of my first entry point into this new project, I guess you could say. Okay. Do you do you want to read it now? Yeah, I can read it. And it's... Okay. Uh, anyway, I was going to qualify it, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> Does it have a title? Yeah, it's called Piano Hammer. Okay. Those near direct questions meant to be asked before now, a piano hammer on silent movie string... A vibration takes the stage for its momentary push of air, moves a Malaysian butterfly's wing, but in your deafening absence. Your body has fallen still. I cannot locate you. And what to do with this directionless love? Give it to Gunnison Beach Ocean, Edison Sky, remember you in a return to County Dublin, First tour of Melbourne and Outback, craft new light, life, new life in story, in song. As long as there is music, there you are. Your sheet music blueprint, your quick edit to the DNA of all you've known. Those near direct questions I was gearing up to ask, they will grow direct, I will ask. I will illuminate your mystery. In our new sounds, we will tell your stories. Wow. That's a, that's a very personal poem. I, I picked up on some of your references just from what I know about you. Like the Gunnison Beach is one of your favorite places to go in the local area. It's also interesting how the music is brought into the poetry. And <clears throat> that was something that I wanted to talk to you about, or at least get your opinion on, um, which is like the difference between a lyric for a song and a, and a poem. Well, lyrics are musical, you know? Yeah. There's an attention. I mean, poetry is musical is what I meant to say. <laughs> <laughs> and lyrics are also musical. But poetry, you know, you, you there's an attention to sound and you're, I'm paying attention to how the words fall um, rhythmically and create patterns within themselves and that sort of thing. It's not bound to anything else, though, which is what I think the difference is in, in a lot of ways. Because the music sort of engineers where words need to go in a song. OK. Do you, When you write songs, do you write the music first or the lyrics first? It depends. I okay. think I, I, so I, I, you know, like I said at the beginning, like sort of walking around with songs inside me that haven't been coming out and needing to deal with that. That happens with lyrics and music too, often lyrics. Okay. It'll be the case where, for example, the song My Bride was, I can remember this so vividly. I'm pretty sure I was in Menlo Park Mall <laughs> with this friend of mine. And I looked at him and I said, My Bride. Remind me of that later. He was like, <laughs> okay. And we were walking around the mall and everything. And then, like, way later in the day, he was like, oh, by the way, my bride. I was like, okay, thank you. <laughs> and I didn't write it, though. I didn't write it for a long time. But it was, in, <clears throat> it was in my head. And just the title was written down, you know. And it sort of evolves. I don't know. They just evolve. And then sometimes, eventually, it's just a matter of sitting down and making the thing emerge. Okay, there might be a line or an idea or something, you know, and then it just comes out. Ah, okay. I my process is the same but different. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone is, you know. And you know, and and currently it's really just about I do I have on my iPhone, I have a what is it called like it's random poetry lines or something. It's just a, a an ongoing note to self. And the first couple lines of Piano Hammer came to me mm. a couple days ago. And and I wrote, you know, terrible poetry. It was one. I just wrote the sucks, <laughs> And I let myself, you know, criticize it or whatever. But it's not, you know, it's not about that. It's about, you know, the craft after the point is you can cut things and whatever. But this, you know, stuff right now, it's just, I think right now my project is just to bring out the raw okay. stuff. Okay. And and the fact that you have a very recent wound, emotional wound, is, do you find that to be helpful or detrimental to this process? I think it is, I don't know that it's helpful or not helpful to writing. I think it's, I'm not the type of person who thinks I need to be in pain in order to create because I'm such a misunderstood artiste or something like that. <laughs> that is not, I don't live in that space at all. You know, I think writing your first raw draft of things is not always the best writing. So it's helped, you know, it's it's a thing that happened, things that happened and you write, I write from that experience. And I think it would, it, you know, so that, you know, you can get a lot of stuff from that, but I think it's wise to then go back and really be, a craftsperson and an editor with work yeah. that comes from like something and really immediate like that. Yeah. Cause so that poem I just read could might appear in something in a very different form at one point. Okay. You know, so this just, is, this is not quite your first draft. It's like a, or is this, is this it's poem pretty close to a first draft? So okay. it's, you know, it's, it's what it is for now. <laughs> um, so right now you're concentrating more on writing, instead of music, is that, is that the, the vibe, the feeling, or is that the, is that what I'm getting from what you're saying? Not really. I think I'm just, I'm in the process of making space to allow what needs to come through to come through. Oh, okay. And, um, I don't feel any particular need to either be doing poetry or, or music. Those things uh, can happen at different times in the same time space for me. Okay. So that's yeah, it's not like a switch that you're turning or flipping back and forth between. They're sort of integrated in some way in your head. Is that Yeah, I would say so. The switch I need to turn off is like my work mode switch where if I'm just doing day-day work stuff that I can, you know, that's I can get in busy brain and and avoid all creativity, which is a very <laughs> bad thing. Yeah. So, so that's the switch I kind of need to shift and say, okay, i'm I'm putting this stuff down, and I'm gonna really just write right now, okay Maybe. are you are you setting yourself time? i'm I'm, I'm here turning into mom mode here., <laughs> yeah, like uh, are you setting time for yourself to be creative now? It's like... <laughs> I have not yet gotten very disciplined about it, but it's something that I must do, yes, yes, that and exercise. those are the things that I don't i'm not thriving if i'm really not engaged in you know okay well so get to it I, yeah. I, <laughs> exactly i am not going to be your mom and 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 beat you up about these things yeah no i'm 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 in a good place <laughs> with getting back to these things that are important okay this is this is kind of a sharp turn in the conversation which i'm apparently this is my deal because it's <laughs> occur to me that have nothing to do with what we're talking about, but it had occurred to me while I was thinking about how I was going to run this interview that we've led these sort of quasi parallel lives, or at least we've run, we've fallen into certain fandoms or things completely independently. And, and one of the things I was reminded of that you had been into, and I think you still may be into a little bit now, is that the whole church is the subgenius thing, <laughs> which... That is a left field question. It is, it is, and I'm... I <laughs> but it has always struck me as so weird that you and I are both into that, and we've come from completely different directions and ended up in that space. It, <laughs> It it always blows my mind when I think about that. That's funny. But I never did a, a band with them. So <laughs> based on them and and that I want I want you to talk about that. I think it is so cool that you do this.
2: Okay. Wow. <laughs> that
1: is a uh yeah, that is quite a different mood. So <laughs> I know. <laughs> so of all the bands that I've been in, one of the strangest one, maybe the strangest one is the Mutant Mountain Boys. <laughs> <laughs> and even the name makes me giggle <laughs> yes so my friend samantha who we had on our show a few episodes ago i met at a devo fan gathering called devotional and i remember she was playing a solo banjo and singing Jocko homo <laughs> famous you know are we not men we are devo song and uh i was like this is a it was like it was like riveting because it was just so odd, you know, it was so strange. <laughs> <laughs> and um so yeah, so she's really fascinated by Devo, obviously, and also old time band music like Charlie Poole and people like that. So she wanted to do this band and um put together a motley crew of people and it went through some interesting personnel changes over the time, but basically We took Devo songs and made them bluegrass songs and played them like that. And (laughs) and also, like she wrote some like original Church of the Subgenius hymns (laughs) to go with it. And um, so it's an interesting band, and we've come from all over the country. So we would sort of meet in the Cleveland area and rehearse real quick and do things just over email and learning things and by phone and whatever, and then eventually perform and. It's fun, and it's been a long time since we've done it, but it would be a nice I don't know it's a break from things, but it's also a an entryway into kind of just a fun creativity, yeah, and that can lead to bigger stuff, other stuff it's It's a good thing to do for me, yeah, I, I just just that that whole fake cult that started in the eighties, right. Yeah, was yeah, it the, yeah. It, it, I think that's kind of one. I had an ex, an old, boy, a high school boyfriend, got me, sent me, uh, high weirdness by mail, which is a book, and it had, and he, oh, he sent me like the the book for the church and all this stuff, and then I said, oh, it's only like five dollars to the sacred post office box in Texas. I'm just signing up for this shit. <laughs> and, so, and and there was a convention where I shared a hotel room with a guy who was definitely a subgenius of some kind. Cause he put up, he stuck pictures of Bob up on the wall and then he ended up getting arrested by the Baltimore police for being nude at, in like a subway station or something <laughs> like that. <It> was- okay.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's funny. But, um, but yeah, it's interesting stuff and, and it's, you know, it's obviously fake and ridiculous, but also, there's a kind of a real community of, of some folks that yeah, there's some, and, you, I can find some good folks in there and, and other people who I, you know, crazy people, but, but <laughs> there's goodness everywhere. And I found, I found the folks that I love to hang out with in that. Circle. And it's also, it's also just a, it's, I found their entire, all of it to be so creative just because everything was just so out there. Yes, And, and weird. It, <laughs> it definitely upped my, uh, my weird game. (laughs) Yeah. One of the uh, things that I was thinking about since you mentioned subgenius is that I really love weird, very weird music. And it's something that I haven't done a lot of myself. I think with some, you know, with some bands, maybe they get a little strange, but you know, there's, I really love outsider music. That's just completely from nowhere that anyone recognizes, you know, (laughs) And I find that really just, I don't know, it's just so much passion and liberation in it, but it's not something you can do. You can, if you set out to be like, I'm going to make outsider music, like it, you can't, yeah. it's not a thing, you know? <laughs> anyway, that kind of stuff and all of noise music and it's just strange stuff is is an influence of mine. So I think I would love for it to be more clear in what I create, but it may or may not be, but it's it's definitely part of the, part of the fabric of me. I think poetry, okay. you have more liberation. For me, it feels like it's more possible to be outside of the box, maybe. Yeah. Well, yeah, because poetry, you know, there are the standards for poetry like iambic pentameter or limerick or whatever then that that follow a specific rhythmic pattern like uh, Emily Dickinson's stuff you can sing the Yellow Rose of Texas too or some shit like that. it's like that's <laughs> it, that was a something that somebody noticed that the rhythmic pattern with that song and, and or the Gilligan's Island theme is another oh, one that, no. that has the same meter as that's like funny. the Emily Dickinson poems and I think there's a name for that meter and I don't know what it is because I'm very uneducated when it comes to poetry but poetry also has the ability to break all of those rules and music music gives you less leeway sometimes we well, can but i think it's harder because we're trained in certain patterns in music so yeah. well, breaking I mean, out of it is more is more challenged i'm talking about more you know radio pop kind of oh yeah you know, yeah no, not like philip glass or something like that right or... right <laughs> which i love yeah yeah I, so. yeah I mean we have this is other th- we definitely have a lot of Similar tastes and, and and stuff. And some really divergent ones. So yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I know. I know. I never really got into punk. And I I apologize to all of my friends for that. But <laughs> so I never got into it. I don't know why. I just didn't. A question that I had for you was do you have a favorite song that you wrote? And if so, what? Hmm. That is a really good question. I'm coming down, maybe. Okay from all six senses. I think captures a mood and captures some it does a lot of the things I really like to do in music, you know. It moves me in a certain way and I think it moves other people from what I've heard and you know, the feedback I've gotten. It tells stories in vignettes, kind of fashion but not it's not literal. I really like stuff that is kind of a little bit more expansive than mm-hmm what is typical and it also incorporates some mantra at the end so it kind of is a fusion of a lot of things that was happening for me at that time and i think it encapsulates something unique and i yeah i love that song um oh cool is it my favorite very favorite one i don't know maybe but that's the one that came to mind okay well, what's your favorite today yeah <laughs> yeah i think that might be an answer a lot of days so okay right. well cool I know you were really active in the New Brunswick music scene in the 90s, and I would like you to tell me what that was like. Back sure. Back. That's a, kind of a big question. <laughs> so late, late 80s really was the beginning of uh, a band that became Spy Gods. I was in a band called um, Chapter 12, which morphed into this band called Spy Gods, which is really, in a lot of ways, the apex of collaboration that I've had, mm-hmm. um, well, no, that's, well, too many qualifiers, it was an amazing time. <laughs> <laughs> and with Bob Ramos and Marcello McDonald and Sharif Hobley, it was, what was it like? I mean, there were a lot of great bands. It was, it was like a, it was like a, um, a crucible of artistic expression at that time and it's funny because looking back on it i think people really recognize it as a really powerful time for music but we were just kind of in it so Mm -hmm. it was normal that there were all these musicians and all these lots of great rock bands a lot of underground sort of punk and grunge and well pre-grunge i guess really ween was around Mm in the early 90s when it got into early 90s spin doctors came out of that general area there are a lot, there's a lot i can't i'll start naming people and i'll forget people <laughs> you know <laughs> bouncing souls but you don't like punk so that's okay <laughs> that's fine it's okay, naming yeah. people I, that i may or may not have heard of that's not my you know right your, a, just our listeners might know who they are tiny lights there were just a lot of people and i really loved the integration that our band had it was like sort of had some african rhythms and some rock and punk and it was just really good sounds that we created together, you know. Then later in the '90s, I did some stuff that was more acoustic, and there was a really, really good, like acoustic folk scene. Mm-hmm. A lot of women, but a lot, you know, but a lot of everybody. But like the women's folk scene was pretty powerful, and it sounds a little bit. It wasn't the '70s version of that, <laughs> you know what I mean? It was the <laughs> '90s version of it. So it, there was a lot of uh, power, a lot of political stuff. I think in general. The bands that were playing um, and solo people were fairly politically active too. So there was a real kind of crucible for that. The court, we all hung out at this place called the Court Tavern, many of us. Yeah. And uh, a, a lot of life happened there. So your current project is doing, you're writing through uh, about grief to process the things that you've been needing to process for a while now
2: mm, mm-hmm. right
1: yeah yes. and yeah. you have another poem about the recent passing in your life like i too. Yeah. well it's not about a recent passing it's about it's it was written for and about kevin years years ago oh okay <laughs> and, See, i don't know <laughs> no that's okay that's fine and i think just remembering that remembering this poem and thinking about you know what i might add to it or what might emerge is uh has just been really therapeutic for me and this is um i don't know how to preface this except it's just about uh transformational it's 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 a sexy poem (laughs) but i like those but it's also about you know that experience and it's transcendent aspects so okay this is called all All morning we were sacred universal face too transparent to see i see clear outline nature spirit comforting me deep comfort blue psychic blanket all around all morning we were sacred black chair digital clock television flashing honest pictures glowing more than it knows how everything shining just above the frequency everyone concedes is light. Inside the amniotic capsule, this living space, all morning we were sacred. Then the archetypal guardian standing, no gestures, no words, then the two of us, and she is adjacent to me in my mind. I know her thoughts, her words, without moving lips, we move together, a churning liquid in my head, my body, energy twitch on me like angelic fireflies speaking all tongues at once then flattened by fierce love lying shocked open breathing lips alive speaking only love so much love in the membrane capsule bursting open pouring birth of open minds heart center open earth all about loving earth loving mind loving us Amazing how active love is, crawling love, crying open blue sky capsule, clear mother's capsule, fly to all, fly to me on our backs alone, naked, clothed, naked, clothed in dripping aura gold, paralysis as we are peacefully shaken, having been a sudden channel, having known the nature green spirit, speaking in our hands and our second sight, watching us Knowing us now as we are lying flat, back, lying naked, clothed, naked, falling back again, back and down, spinning in endless vat of opaque water or milk, spinning clearer, clearer now, airy like cotton candy, spinning open, souls more alive now, alive, falling flat, back, tumbling somewhere where we are not born. Nothing like fire or wall, or bed, or touch. The real tears come, the honest tears. Tears I don't know at all. Knowledge, all love, all light. All knowledge, all love, all light. All knowledge, all love, all light. Wow. That was really intense. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. And thank you for being on our first Artscape segment. Thank you. Listening to the Leftscape Podcast. Sound engineering by Wendy Sheridan. Show notes by Robin Renee. Fake sponsor messages by Thomas Limoncelli. Web hosting by InMotion and remote recording by Squadcast. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Leftscape. Become a patron of our show for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com/slash Leftscape. Thanks for listening.